Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for blessing us this morning with that. Thank you to the worship ministry for leading us today, and David for praying and leading us in prayer. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis chapter 21 and verse 33. Just one verse today in the story of Abraham, and today we are going to talk about the mark of faith. Now, this is the central message of our series together in looking at the story of the father of the faith. And I've heard a lot from each of you throughout this series about how encouraging Abraham's life has been, not just his victories, but also his defeats, and how it's inspired you to take hope in who God is. I know it's done that for me, and hopefully it will continue to do that for you. But today, I want you to see one thing today, and that is Abraham left the mark of faith. He left the mark of faith. In today's message, we're going to talk about what is the mark of faith. And as we think about leaving a mark of faith with our lives as well. One verse this morning, Genesis 21 and verse 33. Before I read it, I'll give you a little bit of context Where we left off in the last message is we talked previously about Abraham trusting God to go out in the first message, trusting God to go out to an unknown place. And then after trusting God to go out to an unknown place in the very next chapter or at the end of that very same chapter, He doesn't trust God enough to stay in that place and ends up going to Egypt. And there he kind of has a a moment of failure where he allows his wife to go into Pharaoh's house and he ends up conning Pharaoh for personal gain. And it's kind of a low point in the Abraham story. But then the next chapter goes forth and then you see his interaction with Lot, his nephew. And you see the man of faith more committed to peace and trust in God, the material things. And he simply says, listen, if, if you want the right, take the right. If you take the left, take the left. I want there to be peace between you and me because we're family. Just an amazing display of faith and trust in who God is. And God honors that in Abraham's life to say, listen, because you've trusted me in this, listen, I am going to bless you. But then Right after that, we have them getting antsy. We have them getting antsy and waiting for the promise to come to pass about the baby that is to be born. And when the baby doesn't show up, Sarah and Abraham get together and come up with this plan, primarily coming through Sarah, that Abram should sleep with Hagar and should take Hagar as his wife. And then from there they have a child, which means Ishmael, which means God's hears. And it's such a beautiful story. I love the story of Ishmael almost as much as I love the story of Isaac. Because if if anything, Ishmael's name should be a mistake, right? Or didn't think that through altogether. But no, God said, you name him Ishmael, which means God hears. And God takes that otherwise bad situation and poor judgment on their part and he does something beautiful. And as the story goes forward, we looked at last time in Genesis 18 where God appears to 
Abraham and Sarah and says, listen, you're going to have a baby. When Abram, you're 100, and Sarah, you're 90 years, 90 years old. And they both laugh at different times, but it is an impossible thing to even think about. And we got to see in the story that they kind of struggled to believe. They even laughed about it. And yet God's tender care for them, even though their faith was not devoid of doubt. They had doubts. They had questions. They had highs. They had lows. They had major blunders. They had great victories. And yet we call Abram the father of the faith. And here I believe in Genesis 21-33. It's a verse that frankly I've blown past as I've read the scripture through the years. In Genesis 21-33 the scripture says this. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then... Oh, excuse me, in verse 33. Abram planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. That verse that I read before was verse 32 that they made a covenant with at Beersheba. That is Abimelech, and we're going to talk more about him in just a second. But what I want you to see here is that it's just a story. I want you to think about why is this in the scripture? Why is it important that Abraham planted a tree? I mean, space in the word of God is prime real estate, right? Why is it that the Holy Spirit, Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, took time to write about Abraham planting a tree in Beersheba? And what does the tree mean? Well, it's my encouragement to you that that tree is his mark of faith. And let me present it to you why I think it's so. First of all, let's talk about where did Abraham plant the tamarisk tree? Where did Abraham plant the tamarisk tree? First of all, Abraham planted a tree in a place he did not possess. Abraham planted a tree in a place he did not possess. Possess. Now, I want you to think about this. When's the last time you went and planted something in your neighbor's yard? Because you thought it would look good there. And it would bring enjoyment to you. No, we do not do such things because that's kind of a violation of personal property. But not only that, why would you spend so much investment on something that you yourself or your family is not going to be able to enjoy. And Abraham demonstrates for us this great faith that even though he did not possess the land, Abraham planted in a tree in a place he was promised. Abraham knew that even though the land was not his, God had promised him that the land would be his children so that when they might come by the tree they would see this tree that granddaddy planted and realized it took eyes of faith to see and believe what was not seeable in the moment that the tree is a message not just of what it is we'll talk about that in a second but when not when it was planted, we'll talk about that in a second, but where it was planted. 
It was planted in a place that he did not possess, but he believed through God that he was going to. You see, where the tree was planted tells a story. Now, where is Beersheba? Beersheba is the southernmost boundary of Israel in the Old Testament. That when the children of Israel would possess the land, it would actually be the tribe of Simeon which would possess this part of the Canaan land. And when you went beyond the tribe of Simeon, when you went beyond Beersheba into the Negev, you went beyond the boundaries of Israel. And it was almost as if here in this story that Abraham is wanting to put a marker down for future generations to know your blessings go all the way here. And I believed God and I saw it before it even was a reality. You see, where the tree was planted tells a story. But not just where the tree was planted, where the tamarisk tree was planted, but also what is a tamarisk tree. I think this is so important. So Abraham's life has There's a lot of trees talked about. There's the terebinth tree, there's the oak tree, there's the tamarisk tree. The terebinth and oaks are very similar to each other, may in fact be the same exact kind of tree. We're not sure on the language there. But the tamarisk tree is something very different. Abraham, we read in Genesis 18 that he camped by the oaks of Mamre. But here he plants something different. He doesn't plant an oak tree, he plants a tamarisk tree. So, again, real estate is is prime in the Bible. If you've got a few verses to tell a story in the Bible, anything in there is supposed to be in there. What could possibly God be wanting us to know? What is Abraham doing? Why is it so important that we know that it's not just a tree planted, but that it is a tamarisk tree? Well, first of all, let's talk about what a tamarisk tree is. A tamarisk tree is an evergreen tree with tiny leaves. You can see it here on the screen. This is what zoomed up close a tamarisk tree looks like. It is evergreen, meaning that it is always in season, much like a a pine tree or a cedar tree here in North America, that they're always green. And if they turn brown, it means that there's something wrong. A tamarisk tree is evergreen. It has these little tiny, tiny leaves. So it's always in season. Also, the second thing, it produces a beautiful pink flower. I want you to look at this. And during certain times of the year, it turns bright pink. It is a beautiful sight to behold. The tamarisk tree, not only is it an evergreen, but it produces a beautiful pink flower. I want you to imagine, because the southernmost point there where Beersheba is, it's pretty desolate there. It's right before they get into the wilderness of the Negev. And Abraham doesn't just plant a tree, he plants a beautiful tree. You see, you can see a tamarisk tree from its color, from miles away. It literally lights up the horizon when the sun hits it, and it just makes it look like this almost like candy on the horizon. It's so beautiful from a distance and also even up close. Now, not only is it an evergreen, not only is it producing a beautiful pink flower, but its new tender shoots taste like 
honeydew. And it has been used as a sweetener and a treat for thousands of years. One of the reasons that people plant tamarisk trees is not just because they're beautiful to look at. It's not just because they stay green all the time. But the new shoots off of its branches can be consumed. And they're very sweet to the taste. And also, they can be ground up and then the sap from these new branches can be used as a sweetener. So the tamarisk tree is not just always in season. Not only is it beautiful to behold, especially when it's flowering in that time of the year, but also it is a sweet thing to enjoy. Then you can reach up and you can break off little branches and you can actually eat them straight off of the tree, the tender branches before the bark is developed. And you can actually eat them. You can cook it or eat it raw. It's sweet. It is a treat to enjoy. And this is the tree that Abraham plants. But not only that, not only is it evergreen, not only does it produce a beautiful pink flower, not only is it sweet to eat and produces this marvelous sweetener that has sweetened millions of lives over thousands of years, it can grow anywhere. It can literally grow anywhere and it is considered invasive. It is considered invasive and it spreads quickly. In fact, Tamarisk tree in North America, if you're caught in several of our national parks, if you were caught trying to plant a tamarisk tree, you would be in serious trouble. Why? Because everywhere the tamarisk tree goes, it's invasive. It takes over. It takes over. That means it starts with its massive root system that goes down several times larger than it does as it sprouts up above the ground. Its massive root system begins to take all the nutrients and the resources that it slowly kills off all the other plants <coughs> and trees around it. But not only that, it can grow anywhere. Go back to that picture just a second. Let's look at this one first, and then we'll compare it to this one. Look at that one. This is an example of how a tamarisk tree has completely taken over a view. This was taken out behind someone's home, and it had completely taken over the view of the water in behind it. A tamarisk tree can grow very beautiful down by the water. But go to the next slide. A tamarisk tree can also grow very beautiful and very great in the middle of the desert. It's absolutely amazing. A tamarisk tree can literally grow anywhere, down by the water, out in the desert, up on the mountain, down in the valley, tamarisk trees, they grow anywhere. And wherever they grow, they take over where they're at. They spread. They grow anywhere. They are invasive and they spread quickly. Also, in the ancient world, a tamarisk tree symbolized fruitfulness or favor from the gods. There are some who believe that actually the flora on the images in the tabernacle and also in the temple very well may have been images of the tamarisk tree because it was a symbol in the ancient world of fruitfulness. 
and biblical commentators, when they note that Abraham plants a tamarisk tree, that notice it's not just any tree, but it is this particular tree, which is a symbol in the world, in the ancient world, that you have been blessed. And when it come, came to being blessed by the heavens, there was only one God in the heavens as far as Abraham was concerned, and his blessing came from him. And the tamarisk tree was a symbol of blessing. So the kind of tree planted, it tells a story. It tells a story, not just, again, where it was planted, that it was planted in a place that he did not possess, but it was promised, but also what was planted. That tells a story too, and we'll talk more about it, but also when did Abraham plant this tamarisk tree? Again, we're trying to discover, why is this verse even in the Bible? Why even take time to say somebody took time to plant a tree? Why take time to say it was not just a tree, but a tamarisk tree? Why is the Bible telling us this? Why? Because where he planted it tells a story. What he planted tells a story. Also, when Abraham planted that tree tells a story. So when did Abraham plant the tamarisk tree. Now, this is not a question of the calendar or the season, but of when is a question of story. Meaning, we're not, did he plant it in the fall? Do you plant tamarisk trees in the spring? Should they be planted in the winter? Should they be planted? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm saying, at what point in the story led Abraham to this moment of planting this tree? First, I want you to see these things. Abraham planted the tree right after another personal blunder. This one worse than the last time. We'll talk about that in a second. Right after enduring a divorce from Hagar and separated from his son Ishmael. This is when Abraham plants his tree. See, I don't... I don't really remember that personal blunder. Well, it's Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. It'll be on the screen. You remember, I told you, in Genesis chapter 12, Abram goes down to Egypt, and he tells Sarah, listen, you're beautiful. They'll want to kill me once they see that you're beautiful. Just tell everybody that you're my sister. And she kind of was, because she was his half-sister. But still, it was a deception, and then he allowed her to go be in the harem of Pharaoh and presumably allowed his wife to sleep with Pharaoh. It's a really bad situation. It's a, it's a bad situation. It's also the inverse of Sarah saying, sleep with my maidservant so I can get what I want. This is Abraham saying, you sleep with Pharaoh so I can get what I want, which is be able to live and have prosperity. It's how the story fits together. But just when you think, oh, the man of faith, that's all behind him now. That's all behind him now. He is in, he's enjoying his second chance, his second lease on life. He's not going to be so immature and foolish ever again. Here comes Genesis chapter 20 and verses 1 through 7. It says, From there Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he journeyed in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And when you're reading along, you're like, oh my gosh, he's at it again. Oh my goodness, what are you doing? And Abimelech, king of Gerar, 
sent and took Sarah. And God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? So he did not say he did not himself say to me, she is my sister. And she herself said, he is my brother. He's saying, listen, these, these people who fought, they're a bunch of liars. And God says, I know. Um, and the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know you have done this with uh, this in integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. And if you do not return her, know that I will sure you know that you will surely die, and you and all who are yours. What an encouraging passage, right? <sighs> But why is it so much more serious this time? Well, first of all, Abraham's already run that, that, that playbook of the patriarchs. It's really thin, right? Because Isaac's going to do this one too. Run the old she's my sister play. Works every time. But, um, but anyway, here, why is this so important? Because this is before Isaac's born. And after, after God says about this time next year, I'm going to come and you're going to have a baby. Abraham does this in the time of which Sarah potentially is with child or is about to be with child. Abraham, this, this blunder is, it was bad at the beginning. Boy, this is really bad because now we're messing with the promises of God here. So much so that God intervenes and sends Abimelech a dream and says, you touch this woman, you are a dead man. Not because she's Abraham's, because I'm, she's mine. I'm doing something from, with this woman. Don't you lay a finger on her. And then to make matters worse, he tells Abimelech, and the liar that did this to you, he's a prophet, by the way, so go out there and let him pray for you and things will be okay. What? Ugh. We look at this story and we go, what? A, that is a bad blunder. It is. But then Abraham has another serious thing he has to endure. The first divorce we read about in Scripture, Genesis 21 and verse 14. So Abraham arose in the morning and took bread and skin of water and gave it to Hagar and put it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. This is... This is the language of Deuteronomy 24. This is the language which means divorce. He sent her away. Because remember, Hagar was not taken as a concubine. She was taken as a wife. And he sends her away. This is a, in ancient world, this is like legal divorce. Abraham is now having to, to keep peace in his house with Sarah, divorce Hagar, and now he is having to say goodbye to his son Ishmael. Could you imagine He's having to let go of this. When Ishmael came, his name meant God hears. Ishmael brought blessing into Abraham's life. Abraham loved Ishmael. And now all of a sudden, Abraham's having to endure this divorce. And now he's going through a divorce. And now he's separated from his kid. And you don't see the, his kid that he spent every day of his life with. He's, there's no visitation rights. He's just gone. Ishmael's gone. And Abraham has just endured this. 
He has endured not only a major personal blunder, he's endured the tragedy of divorce, and now he's having to endure not being able to see his kid. This is a low point in the story. Now, also in this season, Isaac is born, but, but still these heavy things that have just taken place, and this is when, this is when, this is just amazing to me, this is when Abraham plants the tree in Beersheba. So what does it say? Well, when the tree was planted, it tells a story. Y'all, this is absolutely amazing. Do y'all know what ChatGPT is? ChatGPT is an AI system. And an AI system is basically an artificial mind, an artificial brain run by a computer. And you can load into the artificial brain whatever parameters you want it to be. Like, for instance, you could say, I want the parameters to be the King James Bible. Now, write me a story or a Bible study using the King James Bible, and it will do it. It's just the way the artificial intelligence works. It's absolutely incredible. So just for kicks and giggles, our technology guy, Gandalf Savage, he he took our Mark of Faith book that we mailed out to you all, You know, the one that we all received in the mail, it's about 20 pages, and it tells the history of the church, and it talks about the project, it talks about the harvest, it talks about the mark of faith, and he loaded that as the parameters in chat GPT. And he said, write a poetic song about the building project to chat GPT. And in 20 seconds, it spits this out. Listen to this. In 1850, in a humble grove, 11 believers... Their faith to sow. A seed was planted. Hickory's shade from that first meeting. Foundations were laid. They built and rebuilt, never losing sight. Through storms and fire, in God's guiding light. For those yet to come, a mark they'd leave. A testament to what faith can achieve. The mark of faith, a legacy so grand. A church in Tupelo, strong as it stand. With hearts united and visions so clear. A beacon of hope for all those near. Through the years of change, the city's growth, the first family's faith was never loath. A vision to plant, to spread the good news, a steadfast gospel they'd never lose. In times uncertain, in pandemic strife, they moved with courage, embracing new life, construction, renewal. Their faith did show a monument of trust that continues to glow. The mark of faith, a legacy so grand, a church in Tupelo, strong as it stand, with hearts united and visions so clear, a beacon of hope for all those near. And the bridge it talks about our three goals for the construction project convenient access communities embrace core space for worship god's endless grace three seeds they planted for harvest to come 173 years and they're not done the time for planting the season is now under the lord's guidance they made their vow resources of heaven abundance they'd see planting and preparing a faith legacy the mark of faith a legacy so grand a church in tupelo strong as it stand with hearts united and visions so clear a beacon of hope for all those near read this and remember let it touch your soul a story of faith that continues to unfold in Tupelo's heart where love's never ceased a mark of faith and the journey of peace isn't that something (laughs) and a computer wrote that (laughs) just by reading our book that's scary (laughs) I'm going to preach a GPT sermon one Sunday and see if you catch it 
But listen, it tells a story because it reads the story. We're reading the story of the tamarisk tree. What story does it tell? Why did Abraham plant the tamarisk tree? I want you to think about it. Friends, Abraham's mark of faith is not what he did for God. It was what God did for him. Abraham's story of the mark of faith. You want to know what the mark of faith is? It is not filling out a commitment card and saying, God, I'm going to do this for you. The mark of the faith is what we do in response to acknowledge what he has done for us. The mark of faith is one word. The mark of faith is grace. Grace. What is grace? Grace is not what you do for God. Grace is not being gracious in the sense of being pleasant to be around. All those things can be true. But grace in the biblical sense emphasizes what God has done for each of us, what Jesus has done for each of us. The mark of faith is grace. It's grace. It's not what we've done for God. It's not what just First Baptist Church has done for God. It's rather, hopefully, all the buildings that we have, all the missions that we do, all of these wonderful things we've been able to be a part of. One of the things that has encouraged me so much, since 2019, since we started this reconstruction project, at the same time, we have also constructed six church buildings around the world four in uganda two in the philippines at the same time we have been renovating and building here we don't do that to do something for god we do that because he's done something for us it is the message of grace you see the mark of faith is grace and this is why i think it's a tamarisk tree why because grace is just like an evergreen tamarisk it's alive and fresh every morning we are told that his mercies are new every morning right out of lamentations grace is new and fresh every morning also grace like a pink tamarisk flower makes even the desolate places beautiful like a pink desert flower the tamarisk flower it makes even a desolate place a beautiful place to be and this is what God's grace does for us even in the lowest points of our lives God's amazing grace shows up through the person of Christ through the church body around us even in the pit of despair grace makes even the desolate places beautiful also grace like sweetener from the tamarisk shoots make even bitter things sweet all of us must endure hard journeys from time to time but just like the tamarisk tree brings forth these tender and sweet shoots to consume and to be used as sweetener grace makes even the bitter things of our lives not just tolerable but in a strange way enjoyable also grace like the invasive tamarisk tree takes over everywhere it is planted wherever grace goes it takes over this is the message that we have for everyone who comes through our doors it is that God's grace is sufficient to not just forgive our sin but so overwhelmingly overtake our lives and transform our lives so that where sin did abound their grace does all the more abound that's what a tamarisk tree does 
wherever it goes, it spreads and continues to cover. You see, grace, like the ancient tamarisk tree, reminds us the same everlasting God. Because remember, verse 33, it's here. Abram calls on the everlasting God. Grace, like the ancient tamarisk tree, reminds us the same everlasting God who was good to Abraham will be good to you and will be good to me. Friends, Abraham's mark of faith tells a story of grace. And that's what the mark of faith is all about. It's not an invitation for you to take this card home and say, I'll I'll think about what I can do for God. No, whether you pick this card up or not, you need to know first and foremost what Jesus has done for you. Whatever we do through the mark of faith, just like in the harvest, is just an expression of thanks to God of what he has done in each of our lives. Andrew and I have been praying about this journey in our lives. The harvest for us personally was the largest amount of money we'd ever given anything anywhere at any place at any time. And it was a very nervous thing for us to think about. And yet, God provided for every single cent for us to meet the commitment that we felt like God led us to. I would encourage you to do the same thing. Ask, Lord, one question. What do you want to do through me? Hopefully, through all of these videos, through all of these testimonies, through all of these messages, I hope, first and foremost, First and foremost, you believe that there is a God in heaven who came as Jesus Christ for you and me and that he loves you and he truly does have a wonderful plan for your life. That is true. I hope you don't miss that. But the second thing I want you to get from this, I hope you're not missing. Friends, this is a special moment under the sun that we're having. It's not always like this in every place at every time. God is at move on the move. God is doing special, special things in our midst. Don't miss out on what he is doing right here. It is God's graciousness to allow me, to allow you, to allow all of us to be a part of this legacy that he started in 1850 right here on the corner of Jefferson and Church. The mark of faith is grace. You think, me, I must think all that God has done for me and say, Lord, in light of what you've done for me, Lord, how, how do you want to use me in the mark of faith? And hopefully in my life and in yours too, it'll be a testament to future generations, both near and far, of the faithfulness of God. When Abraham put that little tamarisk tree in the ground, my guess is by the time his great-great-grandchildren got back there, they couldn't even guess which one granddaddy planted because it had grown, it had filled the grove, it was beautiful, and it was in a sight to behold, but it started with one 
act of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time together. Lord, as I think about all that you have done for me, Lord, you have been so kind, I can hardly stand it. Lord, you have been so kind to me to allow me to be a part of this precious family of faith here at First Baptist Tupelo. And Lord, I pray that each of us would listen for the tender voice of your Holy Spirit, seeking that peace and direction from you as we ask, Lord, what do you want to do through me? Lord, if there's anybody here that does not know you in a personal way, Lord, I pray that they would understand that the message of grace for Abraham, that even after failure, even after a divorce, a separation from a child, even after some big blunders, Abraham planted the grace tree because that's how much he believed that God loved him and truly did have a wonderful plan for his life. I pray that the people in this room would know that for their lives too, that you love them. You want to bring healing and peace into their life and that their, your grace is sufficient no matter what they have gone through or what they're facing. And if somebody doesn't know you, I pray today they would come and know the Father of all grace. Lord, for those who today think, you know what? This is the church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a place that celebrates grace. Lord, I pray you would move in their hearts as well. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.